My name is Bill Allen, and I'm the leader of a group of elite house flippers and wholesalers called Seven Figure Flipping. We don't brag or show off our success, but instead let integrity and stewardship be our guide. We are dedicated to helping people unlock the freedom they desperately need. If you ask other real estate investors, they will say to keep your secrets quiet. But we believe in abundance, not scarcity. And that's why we are the elite. We are Seven Figure Flipping, and this podcast is our playbook. All right, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. Uh, my name is Mike Simmons, and I am joined today by Terry Berger. Terry? What's happening, Mike? Uh, not too much. So this is this is different. We're on remote. We're doing a remote podcast, filling in for Bill Allen. Obviously, Bill is not here. We're not talking to Bill. He's not going to be in this particular episode. So Terry and I are going to have some fun. Uh, we we are at uh, we were on location because we're at a, a conference uh, that we both attended. We were speaking there and uh, promoting all things seven figure. And uh, we thought it would be fun to do a podcast remotely like this and just talk about some stuff that we uh, we learned by talking to folks at this convention, things that they were interested in, some newer investors, some experienced investors uh, came up and talked to Terry and I after we spoke on stage and they had questions and, uh, and we wanna cover some of that stuff. Mike, um, we forgot to tell them that we spent like three days together and we haven't killed each other yet. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Three <laughs> days together. I can't even tell you how wild it was with Terry and I. We are absolutely out of control. No, actually, we were in bed early. Uh, we watched a movie. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but we had a good time. We had a fun time uh, catching up and getting to uh, spend a little time together. Uh, but really, you know, this whole weekend was about real estate and just kind of spreading the word and talking to people and getting to know some of these investors that came and finding out uh, really just what is it that people are struggling with? What is it they want to know? What what are the types of things that are holding people back? And we thought it would be a fun little experiment to bring some of those questions and some of those uh, topics that we were talking to people about uh, and bring them to this podcast and share them with you guys. And I don't know about you, Terry, but when I was talking to folks, a lot of it was how when I scale, as I scale, and I had this trouble too, as I by the way, I'm holding a microphone. I have never held a microphone to do a podcast before, and it's throwing me. I don't know if I should be up here, if I should be down here. I want to cover the microphone and talk into it. I don't know what to do. If you, if you watch the YouTube uh, version of this, we look like we're doing some news podcast or something. I know. You know I'm used to weather. exactly, and I'm used to. I'm not used to looking necessarily into a camera when I'm doing it. So I keep looking down. If you're at, on, watching this on YouTube. Uh, that's why I'm looking down. I, I don't know what I'm doing with holding a microphone. It's very odd. Um, but one one thing that people were asking me as they w- would come up and talk and you know tell me that you know they they enjoyed what I said. But uh, it was as you're scaling and you're and you're hiring people. Like, what does that look like from a cost perspective to you as the business owner? And and I think the concern I had this. You probably did, Terry, when you first started hiring. My concern was, and their concern was. If I don't, if I don't have a lot of cash flow, right? I'm not really scaled up. I'm only doing a few deals a month. How do I bring people on? How do you pay them? What does that look like? What should I pay them? I don't know if you got that similar question when you were talking to folks. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we had a couple of people come up and talk. Hey, they've got the money for the marketing, but either they're working a full time job or yep. they don't want to necessarily take all the phone calls. And it seems like. Um, I don't know what you thought, Mike, but the, those couple of people, we thought maybe, hey, you should hire some sort of lead intake slash administrator um, that can kind of cover a couple of bases for you yeah. um, as you get started. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's that's the other thing, right? Like, who do I hire? Not just what do I pay them, but who do I hire and why? And so I think that's 
That's what we should really cover here because I think it's an interesting conversation that isn't always had. Um, and, and I don't know about you, Terry, but I always tell people when it comes to who to hire, I think it's important to look at your business and be very um, honest with yourself about what you're good at mm-hmm. and what you like to do and what you're not good at, what you don't like to do, because usually what you don't like is the problem or the bottleneck or where you're maybe losing some opportunities. And for me, I'll just say, I, I'm bad with details. I'm not a detail-oriented person. So what was happening in my business is anything that required a, a level of detail or attention to detail, was I was procrastinating. I was putting it off. And so that was delaying closings, and I wasn't catching mistakes in the paperwork. And sometimes the sellers were catching it, and sometimes the buyers. And it was a real disaster. So for me, I had to hire someone who was sort of an admin, but they really were like a transaction person, someone who was really in the details of the, of the deal uh, during the closing process to help me out with that. Yeah, I agree. And I think that was mine too. Like, I think the thing that you procrastinate on is the thing you have to hire. Like, yeah. that's it. I mean, it's that simple. And um, it's same, for a lot of people and businesses just starting out, it usually is some sort of lead manager. Because, I mean, you gotta t- if you're going to spend the money on the marketing, you have to take care of the leads. Yeah. And th- th- those are your babies. And those are the eggs that are going to hatch and give you deals. So you don't want any lead to slip through the crack. You, you know, we have a joke. Uh, George Bush used to say, you know, uh, no child left behind. We're like, no lead left behind. No yeah. lead ever gets left behind in our business. Yeah, it's funny you use that analogy. I, I tell people that folks in our in our seven-figure program where we have all breakout rooms and hot seats. And I always tell people leads are literally like babies being dropped off at your doorstep. Like you would not leave a baby on the doorstep and just ignore it for a couple of days because you weren't in the mood to take care of it, right? You go get it. And so uh, if you don't take care of those leads as they're coming in, if you don't like answering the phone, and there's some people who absolutely love that sales part of, you know, the part of the sales cycle and some people who don't, I don't like answering the phone. So I know for me, when the phone would ring, I would say, ah, I'll call them back, you know, and then I wouldn't. And then it'd be like the next day, I'll like, I'll call them back today. And, and I didn't, and they would, I would call and it would be um, a message. I would get their message, you know, and I would just leave a message and I'd be happy that I got to leave a message. And that's ridiculous. You can't run a business where you're avoiding phone calls and leaving messages because we're here to get deals and that's not, not helping. So if you're going to do that, then that first hire, um, how much should we pay them? Like, I think that's the big question, you know, is this in this cost of doing business series, what does a first hire cost us? Yeah. And uh, if you waited too long and you grew a business and you're doing, you know, a couple deals a month and, and you have some cash flow, you know, a lot of people hire too late, right? So if you think you need to hire, you know, common, common wisdom is if you think you need to hire, you probably should have already hired somebody. So if you're kind of late to the game and you have some money in the bank and some cash flow, then you can bring someone in local, especially to answer the phones. I think that's probably optimal. You don't want it to go to voicemail. And if you can, if you can hire someone local who sort of maybe has the same accent as your region or kind of understands the landmarks and the things that, you know, that people can, can reference in, in town, that's always a good thing. So then you can bring them in, pay them, pay them some sort of a salary. Like for me, uh, I paid my, my, uh, my transaction coordinator person, I paid her $15 an hour. That's just where we started with her. If, but now on the flip side, if you're, if you're starting off and you're like, hey, I know I need to hire someone to do this because maybe you work full time mm-hmm. or you just hate doing it and you can't get to it. Because by the way, if you, if you have to choose between hiring someone to answer it live 
or you just returning the calls at the end of the day, you're better off hiring someone live, even if it's someone remote, yeah. maybe a VA who, who is from outside the country. Um, that would be the better option. And it's cheaper, obviously, mm-hmm. too, if you hire someone like a VA. A lot of times you can get that work for a little bit less. So, and I, um, I, that is absolutely true. I have not had great luck with overseas VAs. I know a lot of people have, and I'm not saying you should discount it at all. But in that situation, you should expect to pay probably, what, 4 or $5 an hour yeah. for an overseas yeah. VA. And yeah. then in my situation, um, we needed a lead intake person. That's kind of the first person. I loved going to sales appointments, but I was terrible with the follow-up, right, and the nurture. I just got busy. Yeah. And as, as upstart businesses, we're going to get busy, and we're going to forget to follow up. So you need somebody to follow up for you. And um, I paid uh, $12 an hour, right? And, uh, and then they were tied to a bonus. So if we got a closing, they, um, the way we do it is it's just 1% of the net profit. Now, the cool part about that is you might think, well, I'm, who am I going to find for $12 an hour, right? I have a lady on my team who's a transaction coordinator, and she has two kids at home. She wants to be at home. Um, she makes more than $12 an hour as our transaction coordinator, but uh, she was super affordable and this lady used to plan, like, the Rose Bowl parades and stuff. I mean, you think she's going to let something fall through the cracks yeah. in our transaction? I mean, the lady's she plans these mega events, and she's really good at it, but she didn't want the stress of having to do that while she's trying to raise her kids and be around with her kids. So you can find talent yeah. um, for not a whole lot of money. Yeah, there's a site out there called Hire My Mom. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. I've used that to hire folks. There is a ton of talented people out there who maybe just don't want to or can't go into a, a nine to five job. They can't go into an actual office and they want to work, you know, remotely and, and answering the phones is a really, really good job for them because they just can't, they don't have a real structured schedule. And so we've done the same thing. We've hired, we, we haven't had a lot of, uh, uh, we haven't had a lot of luck with VAs either. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think VAs are fantastic. They can work great. Some people really, really highly recommend them and use them and they have a lot of success. I find it to be a little bit challenging on the phone because Despite how good their English might be, sometimes the subtleties of the English language and the sarcasm and you know some of the jokes that people will say just kind of go right over their head, and yep. it's, a, it's a little bit stilted, a little off-putting for people when they're trying to, you know, um, and that's part of the rapport, right? Building rapport is like understanding the subtleties of, of the language and the jokes and things like that. So it can be a little bit tough. And but listen, if if you just say like, because I don't have twelve dollars an hour, like that twelve dollars an hour isn't much, but I don't even have that. I can't guarantee somebody that. And you need to go to a VA because you know it's like you said, 4 or $5 an hour. I think that's perfectly acceptable. I did it. And, I, and it, it's not like you won't get deals. You will. I just think you know there may be that deal here and there or that appointment here and there where you miss because someone gets a little bit put off by, by the language barrier. But I say if your choice is that or not answering the phones live, then do it because yep. you need to answer the phones live. And then transition to someone local if you can down the road. Yep. And you can also, um, if you, let's say, you can't afford that person at the 12 to $15 an hour, you could just tie them to the profit. Yeah. There are some people that will answer calls on commission base and mm-hmm. you just, and, you know, just have a conversation um, with people that, that ties them to the net and it, and it reduces your risk. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I was going to say, when you mentioned tying to the net, it can be a combination too, right? You can definitely pay someone a, a salary, a smaller salary. And to your point, tie them to the net because anytime this kind of goes across the board for me, anybody you're bringing into your company, I think it's a great idea to try to find a way to tie them to the net 
somehow mm-hmm. because it, it starts when people are working and they know that they make more if your company nets more you see all of the all of the the boats start aligning and you all start rowing in the same direction because you as the owner want to your your company to be highly profitable like you want to increase the net and typically you know as, as good intention as some people are it just doesn't matter to them if they get a straight salary and they don't necessarily, nothing changes for them if, if we're profitable or if we're not. And so the more you can start aligning people to that net, the more you start aligning everyone's goals and, and what they're trying to achieve. It's so powerful. And people overlook that because like, I don't want to give people part of the net. Why? Yeah. If they're going to be more conscientious and cost conscious and they're going to, you know, just be more passionate because when you, when you close a deal, like you as the owner are like, yes, you know, and maybe your sales guys like, yes, but the rest of the team can't really share in that. And if they do, how much are they really, how passionate are they? Because yep. it does nothing changes for them, whether you close 10 deals or no deals, right? So I think tying people to the net is a great idea. Yeah, we do that in the, almost all facets of our company. In fact, our transaction coordinator now, we're trying to figure out ways to tie her to the net because instead of giving raises um, because we think that's important. Yeah, the rowing the same direction. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, all right, so let's say... Um, that's kind of basic one-on-one, right? Mm-hmm. Either an admin person or a lead intake person or a combo platter of all the things that you might need. So let's move it up a notch. Somebody's doing, I don't know, 25 to 30 deals a year, right? Yeah. They have different pain points. Mm-hmm. What, what's the next person? I mean, it could be wholesale, could be flipping. What's the next person and how much should we pay that person? Um, I, I think it's, some, well, I'll say this too. For I don't know if you agree with me, Terry, but... Um, if you're, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are not super great detail person. It's, it's, it's rare to find the entrepreneur that really loves, loves, loves details. We, we tend to be, uh, builders. We tend to be, you know, rocket launchers and and things like we love seeing the vision kind of igniting that in our people and getting it built up. And then the day-to-day stuff kind of sometimes, uh, is tough for us. And so I really recommend when people start scaling up to that level for sure, that they really consider a bookkeeper because um, the books are not sexy. It's not, you know, everybody wants to hire a rock star acquisitions person, uh, but having a really good bookkeeper who understands your business, understands real estate, can can look at documents and understand them, it is going to save you a colossal amount of headaches and, and heartache around tax time. Oh, my gosh, man. I remember tax time, you know, being in my office 12 hours a day. Yeah. You know, pulling out the receipts, yep. stacking them all up, organizing them. It really is a pain. And that is some of the best advice I've ever heard for building your house flipping business. We don't really talk about that a whole no. lot. You know, It's a position that people sort of ignore. And then because maybe it gets ignored by folks like maybe you and me sometimes who are, who are giving advice because we're thinking about like, the people who are who are in the business and like affecting the deals on a day to day basis, but your bookkeeper is very much a part of your team, and your bookkeeper should be very much involved in what's going on. You know, my bookkeeper, I know if I buy something with a company credit card, I don't care if it's a pack of gum, yep. and she doesn't know what it is within like 24, 48 hours, she's texting me like, "Hey, I see this purchase for a dollar fifty at Meyer. What, what was that, right?" <laughs> and it's like sometimes I'm like, "Are you kidding me? Just call it like business expense. Like just just make it." Make it up. I don't care for a dollar fifty, but you want that person who's kind of playing goalie, and they're not letting things pass them without categorizing it. Yeah, and at tax time, you're gonna you're gonna be extremely grateful that you yep. took that advice. Now, um, in terms of paying a bookkeeper, uh, we you know I know you have a, a bookkeeper that shares multiple clients, right? Mm-hmm. And we yep. have a bookkeeper. Um, the the advice that I get on a bookkeeper all the time 
is you want to try to find someone who works with business owners. Yep. And it'd be great if they were, you know, had some sort of real estate experience. Absolutely. Too. Like I, I would take it a step further. I think it's a must that they have real estate clients mm-hmm. because, um, you just, the bookkeeper who's working for the, the, you know, the, the CPA, or I see now I work for a CPA, the ones that's working for a plumber and a dentist and a doctor and, you know, whatever, like they don't, necessarily understand you know for me i'm a i'm a wholesaler right so we we sometimes will double close or we'll uh we'll do some transactional funding or we have private money like this is absolutely mind-boggling to to bookkeepers who never deal in real estate and i know because i hired a bookkeeper who was not really into real estate and they screwed my books up like it was worse having them do my books wrong than no one doing my books at all it was really really bad and so i hired a bookkeeper and originally, they didn't work with anybody else. They only worked with me. And it was someone, it was a mom who was getting back into bookkeeping after having kids. And so I brought her in. And I, I literally taught her real estate investing, like overview real estate investing for like six months mm-hmm. to a year. And they're to the point now where they probably understand the transaction side of real estate better than a lot of real estate investors. And I really trained them as if they needed to understand our industry because they do. And it's so easy now. I I don't have to explain anything to them. Um, So be careful. Your CPA is like, you know, doesn't work exclusively with lawyers. And then they go, Hey, I can do yours too. I don't think they can not, not right out of the gate. They're going to need some help. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. And then the other advice I got, um, from a bookkeeper one time is if you go into QuickBooks or quickbooks.com or whatever, you can actually hire a bookkeeper there or find them. And there's two certifications in the bookkeeping world. I mean, we're kind of getting off topic a little bit, but I think it's important. There's two basic certifications or QuickBooks. You want the most advanced training. Uh, That's the person you Mm want um, every time. So make sure they know QuickBooks because that's probably what they'll end up using. That's kind of the industry standard. And I don't know, what do you think? I'm thinking a bookkeeper with some experience, probably 20 to $30 an hour. Yeah, I think that's about right. I, I think uh, we were paying ours uh, $22 or $24 an hour, so right in there. Yeah, and then they, they they started a company and they had a different model. But yeah, I think if that if you're wondering, that's about that's about the rate. Like, I don't think it's less than 20 anywhere on any planet, right? right. But I don't think more than 30 is, is necessary either. And then I think, too, just, you know, if you're doing 25 to 35 deals, you're probably going to have 10 hours, maybe 15 hours worth of bookkeeping. It's not like a hit heavy lift. No. Three no, or $400 no. a month. And if you do that many deals, you certainly can afford it. Yeah. And if you're, if you're just living in an area where bookkeepers are asking $35, $40 an hour, your bookkeeper doesn't have to live down the road from you. Mm-hmm. Like, they can be anywhere, really. Yeah, right? mine's books, in Utah. Yeah, books are books, right? It's very, it's pretty universal stuff. So, uh, start asking around, ask for referrals and find someone who's in that 20 to $25 range. I think that's about right. Yep. And by the way, if someone's only going to charge you $12 an hour, don't get all excited because sometimes you get what you pay for, right? Don't, (laughs) don't, don't hire a bookkeeper for $12 an hour. I think you're going to be sorry. Yeah. Yep. Your CPA is a good referral sometimes for mm-hmm. that too. Yep. They know good bookkeepers. What do you think about letting your CPA do your books? I don't like that. I just feel like the CPA charges too much. And yeah. I mean, a CPA, they like, they don't like that. I mean, right. they offer that service, I think, yeah. for some people. I mean, I guess if your CPA is hiring really good bookkeepers and it falls in line with your CPA, but not all CPAs run a great business, right? right? Yeah. So they may not hire well. They may not fire well. I don't know. I'd just rather go out and find an independent bookkeeper and connect yep. my CPA with that. I, I totally agree. I I would not. I, I would go so far as they don't let your CPA do your books and don't let them use somebody in-house. I almost think the checks and balances and that arm's length, I think it's just better. I would rather have my bookkeeper be totally independent of the CPA. 
Okay, so now we've uh, got our, our business stacked up to where we have some sort of leave it, intake person, administrative, transaction coordinator maybe, doing both jobs. Mm-hmm. We got a bookkeeper hanging out. Um, now we're, uh, we're doing more deals. Now we're up to like maybe it's 40 wholesale deals or 40 flips. Okay. Okay. I mean, we start to kind of diverge the, the roads a little bit as yeah. you start to scale up in volume. But what do you think? What's the next hire? Um, it's a good question. I mean, we haven't talked about Dispo yet. That's somebody mm-hmm. else that needs to be, especially if you're a wholesaler, obviously. Um, I, you know, we had a conversation today with somebody, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they, so dispositions is near and dear to my heart where some people like, like they like sales is near and dear to their heart acquisitions. Uh, I'm not a great salesperson, but I think I'm great at dispositions and they're not the same. They're different skill sets. I know because I'm not good at one and I'm good at the other. So I think maybe a Dispo guy or gal is somebody you should be thinking about because there's money to be made on the on the back end of a wholesale deal. It doesn't all happen when you when you get the property under contract. Some of that revenue and some of that profit is actually generated by the dispositions person, mm-hmm. and and that's a, an often overlooked. The gentleman we were talking to today, I won't name him, but uh, you know his 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 um, term was or what he said was dispositions is easy. Ah, disposition easy. I don't worry about it, and I think. That attitude tells me, without even looking at his business, that he's he's probably losing money on that end of it because he's he's not treating it with the same seriousness that he treats the acquisitions part. And I think it's a huge mistake. Yeah, and I think and I think too, you got to be careful not to be too nice. Like this guy was super nice, yep. and he would put like a buy it now price on his properties, yep. and he's putting all the power into that buyer as opposed to keeping the power as the seller, yep. especially in, the, in this time. I mean, honestly, Mike's advice probably made that guy. Fifty to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars if he implements it, you know. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. yeah, with his volume for sure. Um, okay, and then on the flipping side, I guess you know if you're doing a bunch of projects, you know you're starting to think about maybe a project manager. Mm. Um, you want to make sure you have a good realtor in house. And I'm going to tell you guys, like if you can find a really good realtor to list your properties for sale, they want the volume. So I'll tell you what we pay. We pay our realtor in in both of our markets about two thousand seven hundred fifty dollars. Right. Okay. So it's like a, it works out to be, I don't know, not even a percentage wise, it's just a flat fee. OK. And so a lot of house flippers out there, even in the altitude group, you know, they're like, oh, we pay our realtor three percent. Look, you're bringing them tons of value, tons of business. There's no reason to pay your realtor three percent. And I don't want to offend any of the realtors out there. It's just the way it is. If I have 40 listings and I'm going to bring them to you and dump them in your lap and you don't have to do any work for them. It's yeah. you know, you need a discount. And, uh, and so work those numbers out that can work out in your favor. You can probably save three dollars $4,000 every transaction um, and, you know, and, recu- and hire somebody else. Yeah. You know? That, that's, a, that's a really great advice because me, as someone who's not – you're a realtor, right? Mm-hmm. So you just disclosure here, right? Uh, Terry's a realtor. So I'm not a realtor. And so the interesting thing is Terry says this, and as he's talking, I was thinking I didn't even really think of that as an option. Like whenever I was flipping – if I had a realtor sell it, I just thought I have to give them 3%. Like that's what they expect. That's the industry standard. I should give them 3%. But as a realtor, you're saying, you know, you're looking at it from their perspective and saying, you're like you said, there's no work involved here. You're just dumping the property. They don't have to go find it. They don't have to get that listing. And so you deserve a discount. So that's something even me having done this for a number of years, I wouldn't necessarily think that's something I should be doing. So it's great. Okay. So, uh, project management, you know, if you're going to bring a project manager on board, you know, they're anywhere between, I'm going to say 40,000 unskilled, um, all the way up to 60, 65, maybe even 70,000 for somebody that's skilled and has their own general contractor's license. Um, our guy, 
Um, he's above 50K, and he's got a general contractor's license. He's built 1,000 houses in Florida. He's renovated 1,000 houses. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he's become a, the backbone of our team. I mean, he, he owns these projects. And so it's really important that you kind of vet out your project management on the flipping side and, and figure that whole thing out. Again, I think we have to kind of come back to, to home base really quick and say this is all dependent upon your there – is no, there is no step. Like every person doing 40 deals needs to hire this person. Yeah. No. Right. It's all about your passions, what you're good at, what yeah. you like to do. Yep. You know, how busy does your day job keep you if you have one? Mm-hmm. Like how, how much time do you have available? Um, so you mentioned that the, the project manager I, question for you, cause I don't do mm-hmm. a lot of flipping. Should your project manager, if he has a builder's license, should he be swinging a hammer? Should he, what, what should he, should he not be doing? Is it important to have a builder's license? Is that a good thing? Yeah, no, I think, it, I think it's important. We love having a, um, somebody with a builder's license because we can build houses. Mm-hmm. So if we find a great deal on a lot, yeah. I know this guy can go build uh, a profitable property. He knows, he knows how it works mm-hmm. and he can get that done for us. And, and we're wanting to do more and more of that. Um, from a, from a skill perspective, you know, you have some people who are really good about overseeing all the subcontractors. I like a guy who's going to build a Super Bowl winning team of subcontractors, mm-hmm. right? Yep. His job is to go out, meet and greet. We want, we want the vendors in that community to want to work for our company yeah. versus somebody else's company. And in order to get that, the guy's got to be respected. He's got to be experienced. He's got to mentor these guys. And, I mean, we hit the jackpot after four tries. And that's the other thing, right? It's going to take many tries. We've done some podcasts on hiring. You can go listen to those. But Yep, totally. Um, what else do we need to hire? Well, let me talk about it real quick, the, mm-hmm. on the, this project manager. Uh, how or do you tie them to the net, and how does that look? So we asked him on the front end, would you rather get a higher base – um, or would you rather get a lower base plus bonuses? Yeah. And he chose this guy, and he chose um, the higher base. Okay. And for various reasons in his life, that's what he wanted, and, and we gave him what he wanted. Yeah. And I think it's important. Yeah, I, we go back to everybody needs to be involved in sales. This guy takes extreme ownership of these properties, and eventually, we because he's done such a good job, we will move him over to a – his raise won't be a raise raise. It's yeah. going to be a tied-to-net raise. Gotcha. Right? So we're going to implement that. Yeah. You know, as yeah. we go. Yeah. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. But, you know, I mean, um, this guy's got stuff he has to take care of. He has to be, be able to rely on how much he's going to make every month. And some people are like that. Yeah. You know, one, one thing, too, you, you touched on it a little bit. You, you weren't going in this direction. But it made me think, when you are hiring people, like Terry just said, like a project manager, unskilled, 40000 maybe if they have a, a builder's license and they have a little bit more experience, a little bit more I think it's, and you tell me how you do it, but for me, I ask people what they want to make, mm-hmm. right? Because sometimes we get surprised. Again, going back to the gentleman we were having lunch today with, he has a rock star on his team that he pays kind of a low amount, but that's what she wants. That's what she's happy with. He he found out what she wanted, and, and, and he gave her what she wanted, and that's and she's happy. So sometimes we sort of graft onto people what we think they want or what they should want, and you know it can it can work the other way if you ask them how much they want they might tell you they want a hundred thousand dollar for a fifty thousand dollar job but a lot of times people will say hey you know you, maybe you're willing to pay them forty they're unskilled 
maybe they say I need 35, mm-hmm. you know? And, 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 and the great thing is if you say, okay, I can pay you 35. In your mind, you were going to pay him 40. There's some, there's some room to, for bonuses or growth, and it, it doesn't really eat into any more of the profits than you were planning on spending. And everybody's happy because they got what they wanted. Yeah, I hope everybody got that gold bomb. Uh, Bill Allen, he, that's a question he always asks too. Like how much, how much are you looking to make, yep. right? Yep. And he puts them on the spot to come up with an answer. And then um, if they're super low, right, let's say you have a lead intake person says, I only want to make $8 an hour. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd feel bad almost paying yeah. $8 an hour, but I would say, well, how about we pay you $8 an hour as your base, and then if you, uh, if we, every deal we get, we pay you 1% of the net or yep. 100 bucks or $200. Yeah, because you really have to think when you're starting your company and you're starting to build a team, you can't give away the farm day one. There's nowhere to go, and people, it's human nature, they might be happy with what they make day one, but a year in, two years in, at some point, they're going to want to make more money. And if you've given them everything you can possibly pay that position day one, there's nowhere to really go. And you end up losing good people because you can't increase their... And then you'll be surprised too, guys. I'm, now I'm talking to you as like business owner to business owner. What you find sometimes is you bring people in and you're paying them what they wanted but sometimes, you know, in this business, there's big paydays. If you're flipping houses, it's not crazy that you're going to make twenty, thirty, forty, seventy-five thousand dollars on a flip, and and the team sees that, and and they start getting a distorted reality of where the profits are and how much they should make, and and people start getting a little bit. Um, uh, interested in making more when they see how much money the company's making. So you're, it's always, I'm always a fan of leaving some room there, like paying them what they want, but if it's not what I was going to pay them or what I think they ultimately are going to be worth, giving yourself some room for growth. Yeah, and I think too, going on that, if you give yourself the room, you can be super generous on a really good month, right? Yeah. Like if you have a killer month and you want to sp- send spa gift cards to your whole team right. and to go get a massage or a pedicure or whatever, right? Like yeah. whatever you want to do, you can like be this super generous person yep. because you didn't give it away too early. Yep. Yeah, yep. that's huge. That's yeah, you got to be huge. careful. I've seen I've seen more than one uh, person set up. A lot of times it happens on a com- with the commission people, right? You make the commission really high because in the beginning you don't have a lot of volume and you feel like I've got to give them a really high commission or they won't make enough to live on. And then your business starts scaling and you're crushing it. It's real tough to lower that commission. It's a tough conversation, right? So maybe that commission made sense when you're only doing a couple of deals, but now you're doing 15 deals a month and these people are way overpaid, you know, and it's dif- difficult to take away money and then you end up losing a good person. So just think think long term, right? Whatever you, I tell the people all the time, whatever you do in your business, whatever decision you make, whatever system you put in place, whatever salary structure you put in place, look at your business now and then 10 exit mm-hmm. and see if that structure, if that idea still works. And if it doesn't, you might want to go back to the drawing board and think about it because you're hoping that your business does grow and scale. And if your processes, if your pay structure, if it doesn't scale appropriately, you're, you're going to be in trouble. Like success will cause you problems that you could have avoided. Yep. Can we talk about commission salespeople for a second? Go ahead. So uh, two primary, right, in the, in the business, uh, commission salespeople, acquisitions people and dispositions people, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I, um, our thoughts, or at least what I've noticed in the group, and you can kind of weigh in too, people typically, the 10% seems to be the norm, normative range, 10% of the net. Um, and then, but I've seen as low as five and as much as 15. Mm-hmm. Is that about yeah, right? Yeah, five is pretty low. Yep. Um, 15 is probably the high end, but it's usually between 10 and 15. Um, yeah, and I think that that's about appropriate. And and then, you know, you mentioned dispositions. It, at, think, this is something to think about. I, I didn't really think about this in the beginning, but 
when you're paying your acquisition person, let's just say you're paying them 15%. Let's just mm-hmm. say you're at the high end, right? They're only getting commissioned on the deals that they are involved in. Mm-hmm. But what happens a lot of times is you ha- you end up having two or three, your business starts growing, you have two and three acquisitions people, and they're making 15% on whatever they bring in, but you only have one dispositions person a lot of times, right? That's, a, that's what we found ourselves in that position. The dispositions person doesn't need to make the same as the acquisitions person in my business because they're they're getting fed on every deal that comes in and so they start being a little bit overcompensated mm-hmm. because you know you may have an acquisitions person that's bringing in the lion's share but they still only they only get commission on what they bring in so for us we our disposition person for years we ended up changing the structure but he made 8% mm. you know it was a little bit lower yeah. but but it's because he was getting everything right you know yep yeah, that makes sense. And in a flipping company, you know, pretty much your realtor is your dispositions person if you're going to put those things back on the market. Um, you know, I think there is no, like I said earlier, there's no step-by-step on exactly who. There's a guide, mm-hmm. and, and depending, um, great place to come and figure this whole thing out is Flip Hacking Live. Yeah, 100%. You guys, listen, we said we were at a conference this weekend. Um, it was fine, mm-hmm. but it, you know we're, we're a little spoiled. We go to Flip Hacking Live. We speak at Flip Hacking Live every year. Uh, this year, it's going to be October 14th, 15th, and 16th in Orlando. But Terry and I go to this. We've seen the evolution of Flip Hacking Live, how it's grown and become a real spectacle. And so I think, in all fairness to any other conference that we may ever go to, we're spoiled because we've literally seen the best real estate investing conference on the planet Earth, no, no doubt, and so it's it's always going to be probably a bit of a letdown to go to other ones, um, but it's just because Flip Hacking Live is is so killer and it's so focused. It, you know what I know about Flip Hacking Live and what I love about it is, it's. It's, it's not heavy with vendors. It's not heavy with trying to sell you all these different things. It's just uh, person after person going up on stage who's really, really exceptional at some part of the business, and they get up there, and the directive for them is teach. Tell people what you're doing and explain how you're doing so well in this particular area. Like, just give it all away. Tell them everything. Explain to them from A to Z how they do it. Give them all the tools they need to go and implement it. That's what's really unique about it. It's awesome. I mean, it's changed my life. Even as someone who's been doing this five or six years and been in the seven-figure altitude group for years and years, I'll go to Flip Hacking Live, and I've got 20, 30 pages of notes every time. And you know who else is in Orlando, Florida? Uh, Hello the, there, Mike. The big, <laughs> oh wow! I didn't know we were doing voices. I love it. Uh, yeah, the 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 mouse is there. And That's right. <laughs> Come visit. I don't know if Come I can back talk. Come live, 2021. <laughs> I'm watching at the audio peak when you do that. It's so funny. Um, yeah, guys, go and bring your family. Now, listen. If you were planning on going last year, and you were like, "Well, it's going to be virtual," like, yeah, you know, I really. The, not, they're live now, right? Yep. These events are. This is going to be live, guys. So if you, if you, for whatever reason, m- decided not to go to Flip Hacking Live last year, that was probably a huge mistake. But you can make up for it. It's going to be live. It's going to be in Orlando. You should go and check that out. It, and here's, I've said this on stage before, and it sounds a little bit harsh, right? But tough love here. If you are truly serious about your real estate investing business, whether you're just trying to get started or 
you've got some traction, you're doing some deals, you've got some kind of a business going, but you want to grow it. If you are serious about that and you're not just doing lip service, right? You're not just sitting around telling your friends you're going to be a big real estate investor someday, but you really actually mean it in your heart of hearts and you don't go to this event. I seriously, I question how serious Mm. you are. I just do. I've said it on stage to people. If you're not here, if you decided to come here, good on you because you're in the top, you know, couple of percent of people in the United States who are doing real estate. And if you don't go and you think there's something better you can be doing for those three days, I don't think you're that serious. I think you're, I think you're, you're just lip service. No, you're right. I mean, every like Las Vegas has that electric consumer electronics show. Like every, every sector of business has their flagship yeah. event. Yeah. And this is house flipping and wholesaling and real estate investing's flagship event. Yeah. hundred percent. It's going to be awesome. Hope to see you there. By the way, we've seen people go to that event as like people who just wanted to be in real estate. And then a couple of years later, they're on stage presenting their million-dollar business because yep. they've just created a seven-figure business. It happens, guys. We've seen it happen more than once. Yep. Hope to see you all there. Absolutely. You guys got to be there. Okay. This is fun, Mike. Yeah, this was different. I'm yeah. holding a microphone. Very odd. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I'm a big baby. My microphone's usually put in place for me. Uh, but this has been fun. I don't. Yeah. We've never. I've never done one live like this. I don't with another person. It's very cool. We're gonna have to do this more often. Uh, we just had some some uh, Philly cheesesteaks oh, before yeah. we did this. Yeah. Might have been a mistake. We thought we were gonna be burping <laughs> in each other's face, but we're not. Um, but man, we've had some good food here. We've had some good time. Uh, the, the conference was fun. We got to meet some great people and, uh, and I'm just glad we got to do this. This was fun to do this. Yeah. Awesome. All right, guys, we'll see y'all flip hacking live and until next week. All right. We'll see you guys. What if you could raise $500,000 of private capital in the next 30 days to fund your real estate deals? How would that change your business? How would that change your life? I've put together a 30-day challenge that will walk you through how to get access to all the private funding you'll ever need at incredibly low interest rates on your terms when you need it. It's called the 500K Challenge. This is the same system I've used to raise over $15 million the past few years. And you're not just going to learn how to raise it. You're going to actually start finding this money yourself within the next 30 days as you go through the challenge. This is the single most important skill any real estate investor needs to have, whether you're flipping houses, buying multifamily properties, wholesaling, or anything else. Jump in and start raising private money now at 500kchallenge.com. I'll see you guys on the inside.